0: Good morning, I'm David Fisk, I'm one of the pastors here, I'm not Jimmy Agin. Um Yeah, glad that you're here to worship. First thing I want to say is, um, I need a haircut. I know it, you now know it, I just want to name that, it's out there, okay? I'm aware. We're continuing our uh, preaching series through the book of Revelation. Do you remember what my one takeaway is for you? If if I can make you learn one thing, the one thing is that it's revelation, not shuns. It's not. Sorry, someone tried to argue with me this week about it. Take it up with God. It's his word. (laughs) When I've taught on Revelation, I've said the book of Revelation is like John's Instagram account. It's showing pictures or little short clips of who Jesus is and what God is showing through visions, trying to hammer home biblical truths. And they're visions given not to confuse us or make us, you know, like try to figure out some coded message. They're given to us to encourage us. And like chapter 1, verse 3 says, to bless you. And so... We want to understand these visions to see what God is saying to us, and to help us make much of Jesus. So as Emily comes to read, I want you to think about while you either read or listen, think about a story that this passage is pointing back to, and there's a story that it's pointing forward to, okay? It does all that in eight verses, so. Listen for that.
1: This morning's scripture reading comes from Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plates, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, Full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the
0: Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask Him to bless the preaching of it. Heavenly Father, we come to you in adoration and praise. Lord, we come in humility because we need your Holy Spirit to be here to teach us, to grow us, to comfort us, and to challenge us. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us and bless us where we need to be encouraged and blessed. I pray that you would use uh, this time for glory to you and for satisfaction to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you and your crew have just assassinated the prince, okay? You're on the run. You're trying to get away. The king and his army are now chasing you. You're running away. You're getting further away. They're starting to gain on you, though. And all of a sudden, you're in a street. That's a dead end. Who are you in the Bible? You're Moses, right? Remember, this is what this passage points back to, the story of Moses. You remember the story of Moses in the Old Testament, Exodus 14, Moses and the Israelites. The plagues have just come upon Egypt. Pharaoh's son is killed with some others. And... um, you're running, and you're going, and you're getting away. But Pharaoh and his armies are catching up on to Moses and the Israelites, and they come to the Red Sea. And they're like, well, what are we going to do now? They have the sea on this side. They have the army coming. And what does God do? God intervenes, right? This is a very common story. God intervenes. He spreads the Red Sea so the Israelites can be delivered so that he can save his people. And as the king, Pharaoh, and his army come to follow them, he brings all the waters back onto them. He brings judgment and justice onto Pharaoh. And Moses and the Israelites are now free from slavery. They're free from the oppression of Pharaoh, and they are their own nation now. They're out in this wilderness. They're their own people. Okay? And so this deliverance is such a huge deal that Moses writes a song about it. And in chapter five, four, sorry, 15, because 15 comes after 14, Moses writes this song. This is a song, it's a song of deliverance that talks about mercy and justice and power and how awesome God is and how he has love for his people. And this would have been a song that the Jewish people would have used every time they celebrated Passover. Every time they celebrated this story, they used this song to sing on the Sabbath night. At evening, they would sing Moses' song. And so you see that Exodus, this, the, this story of Moses, is kind of a, it's a typology. It's a type of deliverance like Jesus. It's a type of saving, of God intervening in his amazing acts and in his love and in his true justice, saving them. And you know that he does that through Jesus, the Lamb. we've been talking about the Lamb in revelation, and so that's why it talks about in verse two or verse three, people singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and singing the song of the Lamb. okay? They would have done that magnifying who God is, magnifying the great deeds he has done, magnifying how he has saved people through Jesus Christ. And you see how they're singing? They're singing of his amazing deeds. He's called just. He's true. His ways are true. He's the king of the nations. Verse 4, He's to be feared, not afraid of, Like, but awesome. What else? He's glorified. He's holy. And when it, that says holy, you, I mean, the word sinlessness is what you need to think of but then you need to think of something else more you need to think it's not just in the sinlessness it's almost like looking at, you know how you look at the sun and you can't look like you can't look into it you have to look away it's almost like that unapproachable power unapproachable glory that's who they're singing about that god and all the nations come to worship You see in verse 4, which confirms and validates verse 3 when he says he's king of all the nations. Right? So they're singing about his redemptive acts and the great things he has done for them. Well, who's singing? Well, you see that in verse 2, those who had conquered the beast and its image in the number of, of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps in their hands. I mean, I would have preferred a guitar, but you know, harp will do. But they're standing around the sea of glass, okay? And, <clears throat> excuse me, these conquerors are singing about how Jesus has defeated the beast. And we've talked about the beast before, back in chapter 13 and he's defeated here by the lamb and they're singing a song about it and i bet all of you are like that is a great sermon david let's finish i'll be the first to sizzler." thank you sweet story that's a good picture i like that one click on john's instagram heart you know Yes, true, but it's not complete. It's not the whole vision. It's not the whole picture. It's not everything John wants you to see. It's not as assuring as it could be. It's not as hopeful as it could be. And then it's a little veneer, right? It's not the complete picture. There's more. It'd be like if I took you to the Mona Lisa and showed it to you, but covered up her mouth. Wow, isn't this a great picture? Let's go eat. Right? Like, no. You need to see the whole picture to get the whole thing. So what else is there? Okay, let's look. You see in verse 1, he says, there's a new vision where he says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. Seven plagues? Does that ring a bell? That's, again, illusion. Illusion? To Moses in his story, and he's saying there's going to be another great, amazing thing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for them. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. I'm going, the wrath of God. My wife is like, "What are you preaching on?" I said, "The wrath of God." And she said, "I think I'm going to watch another streaming service. They're streaming church this morning." Thanks love you too this but this chapter this verse actually this picture is the turning point in the war between Jesus and Satan it's here that the finality of Satan is introduced the finality of it and Jesus and his followers have defeated the beast you see in verse 2 where where are they what's the setting it says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, if you know this, but in the Old Testament, when the sea was talked about, remember they don't have technology like we do, but the sea was something that was scary. It was something that was chaotic. It was something that no one could control. It was something that they were afraid of, and at times it's even put as evil, Okay? So the sea is something that is chaotic and evil. In Revelation, we've even seen how sea and fire have already stood for evil and judgment. We've already seen that in the book. And the sea is the place where the lamb judged the beast back in chapter 13. And he judged him because the beast was persecuting Christians, killing them, And chasing them down and ending their lives. And so in this vision, the beast has been judged and he's defeated. And the saints are gathering around the sea to watch. But they're singing this song. They're singing this song to the Lamb. And through his death and resurrection, through Jesus' death and resurrection... Jesus has already beaten the beast. He already has victory over it. He has just not punished him yet. Right? They're all singing, and the beast has to wait for God's final punishment. When I was growing up in elementary school, I had two brothers. I still have them, but I had two brothers that were younger than me. And in elementary school... We got spankings for doing wrong things. It was the 80s. Everybody was doing it. It's okay. Calm. But I kind of got older, you know, like fourth grade, fifth grade. And it was like, mom's spankings don't hurt anymore. So, like, she would give you a spanking and you're like, meh, whatever, you know. But then she caught on to us. See, I wasn't as smart as my littlest brother who faked he would fake cry and get out of it and then laugh at us when we would be in trouble. But my mom would say, Wait till your dad gets home. And I was like, Oh no, dad gum it. Like, oh, that's gonna hurt. <laughs> right? Like, that's gonna be a real punishment. That's what's going on here. The saints are participating in this victory, in this celebration, because the beast has already been defeated. They already have victory. They're just waiting for the punishment. They're waiting in excitement. I would wait for my dad with not excitement. (laughs) Right? But the saints are participating in this victory. They're participating in the celebration. Why? Because of their faith. Because they endured the persecution of the beast. They were saved by their faith. They're included because of their faith. Well, let's look at, at verse 1 again, because verse 1 is where God's wrath is introduced and how it's going to be the finish of it. Verse 1 talks about the seven angels, like we said, and the seven plagues. And this is pointing forward to another story, of God and his wrath, and what's going to happen with these seven plagues. I don't have to preach on that chapter next week, but that's what it's going to be. Spoiler, sorry. It's pointing forward to that story, okay? So here it's introduced, but then John sees in the sanctuary in verse 5, look at verse 5, it says, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, And when it says the sanctuary of the tent of witness, another way to translate tent of witness is tabernacle. Again, pointing back to the story of Moses, because that's who built the tabernacle. The tabernacle and in the sanctuary would have been the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant would have been the testimony, would have been the Ten Commandments, the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And so, This place represented a place of mercy. It was a place where God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to tabernacle with his people. He wanted to dwell with them. He wanted to live with them. And it was a place where you could bring your sacrifice. And your sacrifice would atone for your sin. Your sacrifice would reconcile you to God. But what John sees here and the things that come after verse 5, this place no longer represents mercy. It represents judgment. You see in verse 6 how in the sanctuary seven angels come out and with them seven plagues. And the angels were clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. This is clothing that the priests in the tabernacle would have worn during all the ceremonies when you would have sacrificed your animal. And so these ang- angels come out from the, the, temp- the tabernacle sanctuary, and you need to think of it as like this is a commissioning from God. They would have come from God, and they would have been commissioned to go out and execute final judgment. The angels get these bowls, and bowls were used in the tabernacle. So they'll get talked about next week. So I won't spoil that too. But the bowls are there. And so these angels have all this priestly imagery. And you go, well, what are the bowls? Well, it's God's wrath, it's God's wrath, and it's going to be poured out on his enemies. And what else do you see? The sanctuary was filled with smoke. Remember? God used to show himself to the Israelite people as smoke back in Moses' day. So again, tying those things together, that the presence, the same smoke, this same presence of God is here. And it fills the sanctuary. And the presence is so amazing and powerful and righteous that not even the angels can be in the room with it. You see that? You see in verse 8, no one could enter this sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The smoke is in there, and it's gonna hap- what's going to happen is n- the next story, the next vision that Jimmy will talk about next week. Let me just back up and say, okay, if these are... Visions given to encourage us, which is what you said at the beginning, David, if they're to encourage us, how does this encourage us? Well, you need to think about who the book of Revelation is written to, okay? Its original audience were people who were were, uh, being persecuted, people who were being um, executed for their faith, people who were suffering, people whose homes were being burned down? That's a tough situation to be in, right? These horrible circumstances, and it's almost like they're asking, like, do I really want to stay loyal to Jesus? Is it worth it? And John's showing this picture, and we don't really have the same situation, right? Like, we hear it and go, oh, man, that's hard. They were suffering? That's like when I went to Banana Republic and couldn't find the color shirt I wanted. Oh, Jesus, you know? It's not suffering. That's not what they were going through. Right? They, they were being persecuted and killed. But for us, you need to think about the times where you've been abused Where you've been betrayed, where you've been hurt, where you've been assaulted, where you've been manipulated by someone, where you've been abandoned, where you've been violated. And if you think that you don't want judgment and justice, I think you are fooling yourself. If that would not encourage you, that justice and judgment is coming, again, you are fooling yourself. I mean, think about what's going on in the world, right? In Central Africa, grown men are, are kidnapping children and training them to fight wars for them, right? To take machine guns and go kill, kill people. You have ISIS coming into Egypt and killing people, right? You have teenage boys and girls who are being trafficked. If you don't think that they deserve justice, I, I'm confused by what you think. You want someone to make it right. You want someone to judge them. You want them to be held accountable. St. Keller is one of my favorite authors, Tim Keller. He says, a God who doesn't make all things right, who doesn't settle accounts, is not a God worth worshiping. If he doesn't bring justice, if he doesn't make all things right, he's not worth worshiping. And you and I are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of a just God. They sang it in the song. It's in verse 3. We're made in that image. And deep down, I think you and I want judgment. We want justice. We want someone to make things right when we have been hurt by others. And I know in a group this big, there are lots of different levels of hurt. You and I want someone to make it right, and so you and I need Revelation 15. We need to see this picture of God is just. God will bring justice. He will make all things right. Another thing that Tim Keller writes in the book, The Reason for God... Highly recommend. He says, What's different about Christianity is that there is judgment, but there's also mercy. Think about the story of the Bible, the story of God. He's a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment because God hates sin. God hates sin. He is angry at sin. He's angry at evil. He is angry at injustice. He's angry at the things that have been done to you. Because you're his creation. Evil and injustice are destroying his creation. And in Jesus, we see God's story where God must punish evil, but he willingly offers mercy by putting his son on the cross. He puts himself into human form and goes and sacrifices himself and endures the wrath of God for you. He offers mercy and forgiveness and love you. And the story of the Bible, the message of Christianity is that it is, he is a God of love, but he's also a God that one day, someday will make all things right. And everything that's been taken from you will be filled back up and more, and more. So how does this apply to us then? Okay. You know, what kind of application do we see here? Well, I think you need to ask the same question. Is Jesus is following Jesus worth it? Is it worth it? I'd say yes. Because God is a God of love. Through Jesus He has paid the price of God's wrath and fulfilled it. For you, Jesus puts himself into that position and takes god 's wrath for you for me, and makes you a child of God, gives you his status where you get to be the beloved son or daughter of the Creator another thing, Another way it applies is is saying, yes, it's worth following Jesus because God is a God of judgment. And you might say, that's weird. But again, you and I want judgment because it's going to make everything right. Everything that has hurt us, that has, ta- has been taken from us, will be given back. It will be healed and more and more. Third thing I'll say is what area of your life, or my life, are you not willing to give up to follow Jesus? You might say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you have an area of your life that you're like, eh, but don't touch that. Not in that area. You Better leave my money alone. You better leave my sex life alone. You better leave my control freakness alone. Right? I'm not giving those up. That's too hard. I love how last week Jimmy said that some of us come to the book of Revelation with tears. And I just resonated with that. And I was like, we're here right now. Okay. Like, yeah, you come with tears because you hear about hard things. And you think of your friends and you think of your loved ones and you think of like the heaviness of revelation. But I would challenge you like that's an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. To go talk to them about God's love. To go talk to them about how he is just and true and merciful and full of grace. And you might say, well, I don't know how to do that. I would love to sit down with you and let you take me out to lunch and I will talk about it with you. (laughs) Right? Like, any of the pastors would say that. Like, go ask your friend to to help you. Like, we, I mean, we need evangelism because of this. I think a second challenge I would say is some of us need to wake up. You're just kind of cruising through life and you have faith and kind of whatever. Just kind of do what I want. You know, this is my time. When I get older, maybe I'll follow Jesus. Wake up. Like being numb and apathetic is not a way to live. And the book of Revelation Says what you do matters, and it matters a lot. Like eternity matters. So think about I'm challenging you. Think about what is it that I really put my faith in. And lastly, I'll say I'm challenging. What is it that that you and I believe? Right? We believe. We all have a belief, an idea of. A shape of what we think God is, and in our Western culture, it's usually a God of love. We love the God of love, you know. Just can we just forgive everybody and just get over it, and you know, include everybody? No, that's not that's not the picture. It's an incomplete picture, and I would say it will give you incomplete satisfaction if that's all you believe. Because it doesn't address all the wrong, all the evil that has been done to you and done in the world and done by you and me. And so John gives us Revelation 15 to show us divine divine judgment, but also divine mercy that delivers you from that judgment. And because of that, you keep going as a Christian. Because of that, you endure. Because of that, you follow the Lamb at whatever the cost. And because of God's mercy, we're getting there in the book of Revelation. Spoiler alert, God will win. Right? God wins. That's what I make my girls say all the time. Who's going to win? God will win. All right, let's keep going, you know? Like, that's the endurance. God will win. And when he does, he will make all things right for you in every area. The evil that has been done to you, the hurt that you have endured, the pain that you have suffered, it will be given back. Refilled, fulfilled, and more. And that's the beauty of the vision that he's giving us here. He's saying, This is who God is, and this is why we make much of Jesus, and this is why we make much of following him. And we will be so filled up and satisfied that we will sing the song of Moses, and we will sing the song of the Lamb even with a harp. We will sing these things in pure joy and pure restoration. And all things will be good and new. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is easy for us to fall into being numb, to... fragment our lives and say, you don't really get to rule in this part. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to forget about it. Would you make us more intentional in thinking about it? And Lord, the ones who we love who don't know you, Lord, give us chances to talk to them about Jesus. Give us the courage to talk to them about Jesus. Thank you that you are a God of love and a God of justice, that you are king of all the nations. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.